Hey guys, welcome back to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we dive deep into stories of Asian entrepreneurs around the world. Be sure to check out our book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, and check out our directory and marketplace at AsianHustleNetwork.com. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. If you like this podcast, don't forget to leave a five-star review. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network Podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode on the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today we have Caleb Wang and Jennifer Liao. We're so excited to have them both on the show today. You guys, please tell us about yourself. Let's start with Jennifer real quick. Yes. So hi everyone. My name is Jennifer. I'm one of the co-founders of Shotsujit or XCJ for short, and actually spent most of my career in the life sciences and health tech industries. So very different from food and bev that we're in right now, but it's been a really fun journey. And we actually had started a restaurant in Seattle, which is where I grew up for middle school and high school about three and a half, almost four years ago, which is how all of this got started. Wow. What about you, Caleb? Yeah. Hey, everyone. Super happy to be here. My name is Caleb. Very similar to Jen. My background is has not historically been in food. I've done the standard banking, private equity, hedge fund kind of finance route, but always had a passion for food. have grown up in Shanghai eating a pan fried soup dumpling called a Sinjin Bao that really wanted to kind of see done well here. So then when Jen and another partner had the opportunity to start XCJ, I uh, jumped right in and that was kind of the genesis of this. Yeah, I love that a lot too. And your story is really inspirational because I hear from a lot of my personal peers and I hear from people on this podcast too, right? They did a career in legal, did a career in finance, did a career in whatever it is, and then made a pivot towards their passion, right? And what I realized is that it's your passion about something, it never really goes away. Using the opportunity to explore it. And walk us through starting a restaurant. What year was this? What was it like? And at what point in your own career did you realize that, hey, I want to switch careers. I want to do this. I want to hear about that story. Yeah. So actually, we opened our restaurant October 2018. And I think we had started first talking about doing this January 2016. So it took a year and a half to actually open the restaurant. Uh, So that was a journey in and of itself where we had this idea. And actually we started because our third co-founder, Norman, he has been in the restaurant industry a little bit longer than us, like one or two years longer, and asked if we wanted to start a restaurant. It was a poke restaurant. I'm allergic to fish. So I had said no at that point, but he really wanted to do something together. And Sinjin Bao is actually Caleb's favorite food growing up in Shanghai. So I was like, Hey, how about you start this restaurant and we can come eat there. And that is a great idea. So that's really how that had started. And he kept calling me every week, every two weeks to plan how we would do this. And somehow we got roped into actually doing it, doing the restaurant ourselves. So we found a chef, uh, his name is Brian. 
and sent him to Shanghai, bought a one-way ticket. We're like, hey, here's exactly the food. Here's exactly the restaurant that we really like it. Can you please go learn it? And then let us know when you're done and then we'll buy your ticket back. So he went there by himself, didn't really speak Chinese at all. And then when he came back, we tried it. It was really good. So then we were in business and we started looking at locations. So then fast forward to October, 2018 is when we first opened our brick and mortar location in Bellevue. Washington, which is right outside Seattle. So that had been running as a restaurant for about a year and a half when COVID hit. So that's when we really had looked at e-commerce and it started to become the business that we have right now. Ooh, that's, that's quite the story. And what I love most about the story is your business is built on so much trust. Like it's insane. <laughs> You're working with a third founder, which obviously has a lot more experience than you guys. And then you found a chef and then flew him over to Shanghai and then flew him back. That's, that's hella trust. And compared to Asian culture, that's like the opposite of what my parents would tell me, right? He's like, Oh, I don't trust anybody. Trust yourself. <laughs> right. And I'm kind of curious too, like, how do you build such a strong system of trust in a business? That's, that's like really, like really early stages, right? That's a struggle that most Asians and Asian Americans have trouble with. It's like, how do I trust you enough? in order to build something amazing with you? Yeah, that's a good question. Also, to throw this in the mix, we had been dating less than two years at the time. So we weren't engaged or married at all either. And we had thrown ourselves both into the mix. So I think part of it was just probably our personality. I was lucky to have known both Brian and Norman from when I was in Seattle. So it had been a little while. And I think... We're very privileged because we also had other careers. And so in a way, we were in that like startup entrepreneurial mode of we don't have other commitments. We don't have a house or kids or anything that we need to take care of. And if we're going to do something, why not? Like this is a good time to do that. So I think we're very lucky to have been in that position when we started. So that made it much easier, of course. And then I think because from the beginning, we talked about it as a very mission-driven thing of like, hey, we really like this food and we really want, like, why doesn't this exist? Why doesn't food that we have eaten before or we really like, why doesn't that exist here? How can we bring it over? And how can we modernize a little bit what you know, the industry looks like. So I think because we started talking about that from the very beginning and everyone was excited to join because of that, that really was what built the trust. And I think everyone just jumped in with both feet in from the start. So even for Brian, he actually was at Microsoft as a project manager before this, and he had just actually quit and was looking for um, a culinary path when we had talked to him. And when we proposed this, he was like, oh my gosh, you literally somehow made the words in my dreams concrete. This is exactly what I would love to do. And it really resonates with me. And when we booked his ticket, it was actually three weeks after our first conversation. So it just happened so fast. Uh, no one had any time to think and we just went into it. Yeah. And I think like Jen kind of captured it with the mission driven, but I think one of the things that we don't actively vet for, but clearly is the case for not just the co-founding team, but also folks who are joining the company as employees is like, are you doing things for the right reasons and kind of bigger picture, like buying into the mission there. Most people are joining because this story resonates with them. And that's super helpful in kind of all rowing in the same direction. And we have that, that hasn't really been like a lack of trust has never really been an issue across kind of the founding team or just folks that we've brought on board? I think 
This is also partially our personality. We probably don't ruminate on things too long before just trying it out. I think it, we're very much a what's the worst that could happen type of person. Not to say we're optimists. I would say we're both probably more realist than optimist, but it is like a, okay, even if it doesn't work, that's okay. So what, what happens? We can pick up again and no problem. So I think that helps us in jumping into more of the risky situations. But from the beginning, I think your question about before was how did we transition full-time into this is we did have other jobs and we did think about it as, oh, here's a side thing. And it was calculated risk. And I think a lot of founders do talk about calculated risk. It's almost never a, oh, we threw everything to the wayside and jumped 100% into this with no path, no vision, no funding, no anything. I think we had an idea of what we wanted to do, kept seeing along the way how it was progressing and evaluating that a little bit with the intention of if we can get there, then we'll be full-time on it, but not not sure when that would have happened. Yeah. I mean, a lot of good takeaways from what you guys have said, right? And I think it's, it's really unique because I love the fact that you guys take action, lots of action. And you know, you're right. Just don't sit in for too long, take action, see what happens. The worst case is guess what? You built up strong enough careers. You can always go back to your career. The other good takeaway is building something that is very mission driven, right? I think that is super underrated to have a strong mission statement and build something that honestly makes the world a better place, right? I agree with that. I think what we do go back and forth on a lot is our brand or us personally integrated with the brand. I think there are other companies that do that a lot stronger and a lot better than we do. It doesn't come so naturally to us. So actually in the very beginning, as I mentioned, it was literally because we wanted to eat really good food, which I mean, it is a mission and I think people can identify with that, but it wasn't necessarily like a deep and meaningful thing. But I think as we went along, we discovered a lot about ourselves and what we cared about and what others also cared about. And it became very personal to us as we went about it. And I think right now we just built a team. And during the recruiting process, this comes up a lot where it is like, oh, there's a company that can represent us and what we care about. And that is so unusual and a once in a lifetime opportunity, which is a little bit sad to hear, but also exciting for us. Hopefully that isn't the case in the future where it feels like such a rare opportunity. But I think we've heard that a lot from a lot of the folks who have joined. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I hope the pie continues growing. I feel like the pie right now, especially for the Asian community is just getting started. Right. I think that whereas before a lot of our parents were seeing each other as competition, I think we should elevate each other, push each other forward because honestly, we're just like the tail beginning of everything, right? All the communities we're building, all the products that we're building, right? It takes a lot of time, effort, and a lot of people to continue pushing the pie forward. I think what you're doing is great, right? Having the mission there, knowing a lot of people resonate with this mission, recruiting the right people, growing the company in the right way. And I'm kind of curious too, are you guys currently venture-backed? Because I understand that for most mission-driven companies, actually one of the worst things you could do, right? Is be driven by finances and economics and all those things. I'm kind of curious, what's your thoughts and approach on that one? 
yeah, there's a, there's a good point. We are venture backed. And to your point, it's like venture capital can be very good or very bad for accelerating a mission on the, the benefits are pretty obvious. It gives you funding to go faster, but the negatives might be growth at all costs, doing it unsustainable way, doing it without customer service and the customer front of mind. So let's focus on revenues and not, is everyone having a good experience? So for us, when we were going through the process, it was very important for us to find partners who are just as long-term oriented in the mission of bringing good quality, accessible Chinese food to the forefront, but also not focused on short-term issues. So we always want to make sure the customers kind of folks are customers are being being served the right way. Like a great example might be, do we want to grow revenue right now in the summertime? During the summertime, shipping may be a little bit more challenged, right? So for us, like a bad VC experience would be like, let's do revenue first without figuring out frozen shipping logistics. For us, it's like, let's figure out frozen shipping logistics first and then grow. So like, like it's not, I would say, generally speaking, we found a lot of great folks to partner with, but the firm that we're, we're partnered with is definitely long-term and kind of has the same vision as us. Yeah, I think this was also good timing where we didn't go seek any funding until we had a pretty strong foundation. So we already had a product. We found product market fit. We found that there was demand for our product. We had a good foundation of revenue already. And when we had gone out, all of these were set. So it wasn't really a trade-off question when we took the venture money. It was more of like an acceleration question of what we were already doing. And so they knew kind of what we're about, what our product is, what we're trying to do. And it wasn't that, like they were pushing us in a different direction. I honestly think you guys made the right right approach, right? I think the most people will go out there and grab as much venture capital as possible. And honestly, when you let too many people dictate your directions at the beginning, it can be so detrimental to your mission and what you're trying to build, right? So I, I really think that you guys made all the right moves, right? Just have your product, have your mission, have your team, and then accelerate with the capital with the right partners. That's the best decision to make. And I wish that, you know, honestly, when I was starting Asian Hustle Network, it's funny too, because our timelines are kind of parallel. I was talking to, to my co-founder, Maggie. She's also my fiance about this idea about bringing this Asian community together, right? And I had the, a conversation with her in 2016. Uh, similarly, we did raise capital as well, but we opted to go the angel route because we want to stay closer to our mission. We were often at the time, we didn't really know much about venture capital besides the fact that everybody's fundraising, you should fundraise. And like, what are we fundraising <laughs> for? What's our evaluation? What's all these things? <laughs> you know? But until you have your, your stuff set in stone and continue growing, like that's when it's the most optimal and you grow in the right way. And I want to bring the conversation back to 2020 during that pivot, right? Because moving from a restaurant to a product online to dealing with distributions and e-commerce, it's a whole different ballgame, right? You're dealing with so many more different things, different playing field. How did the idea come up? Right. At what point were you guys like, hey, let's uh, let's move online and sell this product online instead? Want to hear yeah, about that? Yeah, I mean, it is 100% a different company. All of the operational, logistic, company organization pieces are 100% different. I mean, as a lot of restaurants faced, they had to close and we had to close as well. So during the first period of closure is when we had basically re-looked at everything about the business. And I think there were several options for people where 
you could accelerate takeout. We already were fast casual, so we were able to turn that on pretty quickly after the closure point, but we were in more of a business district in Bellevue. So there's no foot traffic, no company business anymore. And so it was less about, can we reopen and have takeout and more about how can we drive more traffic and bring our employees back? I think we didn't want to furlough people and have them on unemployment for so long. We wanted to find ways to be able to bring them back. So in the beginning, during that closure time, there were a lot of deep cleanings that had to happen so that we could just keep people employed and secure as we got through some of that period. And at, in parallel, we had started testing this frozen soup dumpling. So in the restaurant, we actually didn't sell soup dumplings before that point. We just sold ginger bao. And the reason why we sold ginger bao is you do have to sell out of an entire tray of 80 of them in 30 minutes. Otherwise, it goes bad. So we had focused on one product in the restaurant, but soup dumplings is very close. So when we're closed, we started testing the soup dumpling with a very similar recipe. Of course, the dough is very different. And then the cooking technique is different. And we started freezing it just to see what would happen. So I think we we're one of the first ones. There were a bunch of restaurants that did this. So it was not an original idea, but we were one of the first ones that I saw that started to do it at that time period. And the whole point was we see frozen dumplings everywhere. Why not frozen soup dumplings? Maybe that could work. So we started doing that. And at the very beginning, we actually had just made it and then had people and ourselves drive cars and deliver brown paper bags and put them on people's porches. So there's no contact and everyone was home. So we would just text everyone like, hey, your soup dumplings are here. They're on your porch. Send a picture. And actually, in the early days, we had routing software, which was MapQuest, and it actually didn't optimize routes at all. So if you did, if you did it manually, it could have been half the time. So that was also kind of a, a fun moment to look back on was using MapQuest to figure out all of the routes for all of the drivers that we had. And we actually used Google Forms to take orders. And we were using Venmo and PayPal to collect the dollars for the orders. So it was very much a bootstrapped kind of experience. And we had posted in like a Facebook group and a WeChat group to begin with and got a lot of community support, which is what allowed us to feel a little bit more confident in rolling it out a little bit larger scale. So we really had just started with an experiment and then started to scale that out a little little bit by little bit. And Caleb had programmed our website at that point. And neither of us have kind of a programming background. So he had done that. He created an ad online and started to see how that worked. And we just like kept increasing like spend and investment and infrastructure as we expanded, you know, the coverage area. And I think, think the learning is kind of similar, something similar to what we were talking about earlier, like just kind of jump in. It doesn't have to be perfect. Don't spend too much time getting like a MVP out the door. And we didn't need any sophisticated routing in a software or like a great website. We just needed some avenue for someone to place orders. And when we saw that there was demand, then thinking through kind of the long term of like, hey, how do we get this to work at scale? And thinking through all the steps that are necessary and then figuring out when you make each of those investments. Because, you know, delivering for a third mile radius across a restaurant, which is where we first started, is very different than getting it frozen to the state of Washington and the nationwide shipping. You don't have to go all the way to nationwide immediately, but just kind of building blocks, a lot of test and learning to, to kind of build that conviction. 
I love that. I love that a lot. Right. And what, what your story really tells me is that is you guys definitely are on the right podcast. We are the Asian Hustle Network podcast. And there's a lot of hustling involved with getting your product up and going. So I really appreciate that. Right. And I really appreciate that you guys are very textbook about it. Right. You know, having your minimal viable product, focus on one product. Don't focus on too many things. You know, you read a lot of this in business class, right? And you guys are actually applying every single step of it, which I really appreciate. But the one thing I want to hone into in your story is making that pivot itself, the emotional side, right? Because I feel like you guys, you guys make it seem too easy. And honestly, we know like running a business is, is difficult. Sometimes you want to pull your hair. Sometimes you want to bang your head against the wall, right? And making pivots is not an easy decision, right? It's very emotional because you know, you're attached to your original idea. You have to let go of the idea completely. And this is where you have to put aside your emotions and put your logic inside. Like this is the proper decision that we should make. But let's be honest here with most founders, especially on this podcast, a lot of us, as we're making the pivot, we don't know exactly what we're doing. <laughs> we just pray that it's going to work out. Right. And a lot of times people think that founders have all these superpowers, you have all these insights, you have all this data, you can have all this knowledge that you're like, Oh, this is the right decision. We're going go down this path. But most of the times you don't, you don't know what the hell you're doing. Right. And I want to talk about that, that emotional side that you felt, right. Letting go of the restaurant, you know, changing your business model completely. What was the first night like as you're like laying down in bed and you have all your thoughts like coming at you at night? Like what was the emotional side you like so we can relate to that side? Yeah, that's a good question. I think part of what tempered it was that because the restaurant, we still had the restaurant and we could still open it. That obviously also de-risked it a little bit. I think let's say the first day is when we posted online and saw if there was any interest in it. So when that happened and we actually got orders in and it picked up very quickly, I think that was very exciting. And that was very much a, oh, there's actually a totally different path of what we have ever thought about than what we have been doing already. And I think that newness is what made us very excited of, oh, there's this whole other area that we've never explored before. And I think that has been a driving force for us through this whole business venture. So like obviously coming from healthcare and coming from finance, very little industry crossover with what we're doing now. But even in those careers, I think we're very excited to just like explore new things, learn new things. And so that was a similar characteristic was like, oh, wow, we've never tried Facebook groups. We've never tried WeChat. We've never delivered these things. We've never collected orders online ever. Other than like, you know, Uber Eats or DoorDash, which we also had done very little of before that point. And I think that excitement for something new eclipsed it that first day. And we're like, oh, people actually want this. That's so interesting. Why do they want this? And so we went into this whole curious mode of just understanding what exactly people liked or what they wanted or why they would buy or why they would trust us or why they're just like Venmoing us money before they even get the product. So there were just so many questions and curiosities, I think at that point. And that made us very excited. 
Yeah. And I think at least for Asian Americans, I'm sure all of us have the same feel like there's a set path that you need to do. And that's historically looked at successful and like, you got to do that. And I think at least for me and probably for Jen as well, like the rotation from kind of a traditional, like successful path to like the entrepreneurial path that most founders go through, that is, that was at least for me, the most emotional part. Um, I think it was somewhat helpful that this all happened during COVID. So it's not like you're out kind of interacting with folks and like, oh, I decided to quit mm-hmm. my finance job and do this like food thing full time. Like there was none of that. And then that in combination with all the data, like for the business metrics, it was all going in the right direction because we were lucky to launch it during COVID. Like the combination of those two things it put together was super helpful and lowered the emotional impact. And then to one of our conversations earlier, like just the mission driven nature of this in that this was actually like something that people really needed and people couldn't go out to dim sum and they hadn't had soup dumplings in six months. And we were providing that value and seeing the customer emails come through um, that really got us going as well. So I would say the combination of those, all those things. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point that the COVID piece actually probably helped us gain confidence in it. I can just imagine if it weren't COVID and we were seeing friends all the time and they asked what we're up to and we told them, like, once you speak it out loud, it's a real thing. And then everyone asks for updates all the time of what's going on, whether it's successful or a failure. And you have to share that very directly and very visibly, which I think would be very, that's a very tough part of, I think, when you're starting something and that builds a lot of pressure versus in this case, it was just us by ourselves in our apartment and, you know, isolated. So then there was no one to ask us and we were just in like our adventure mode by ourselves. I'm glad uh, I'm glad you guys had a positive takeaway from COVID. <laughs> it's actually one of the first times I heard that one. But actually, you think, really think about it. It does make a lot of sense, right? Because your friends do ask you like a lot of questions about your business. And I remember when I first started Asian Hustle Network, that's actually one of the first questions where I didn't like to answer because half the times I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I was like, I'm building something amazing, guys. Just hold on. <laughs> just, just wait. <laughs> Yeah, the, the interim period of like building before you have tangible results. And like, that's yeah. kind of tied to the VC thing too. Like if you're not optimizing for the long term, like along the way, it can be tricky. So having that conviction that, Hey, we're, we're doing something good. Like let us build it uh, similar to how you get, you built that Asian house on network. Um, that, that's, that's the right way to do it. I think we also just find a lot of humor in a lot of situations in maybe a slightly self-deprecating way where I mentioned like, oh, we built this website or we did this ad. It, the ad is hilariously bad. Uh, no offense. It's, but it, yeah, it lasted for a very long time. And I think when we saw it, we're like, haha, this is so bad, but let's just try it. And so when people asked us, we're like, check out this really, really bad ad and everyone laughed about it and whatnot, but like it actually worked. So that was all fine. But I think just looking at the humor of every situation. I, I like that. It's so relatable to me. I, I don't know if you guys <laughs> ever saw the first logo of Asian Hustle Network ever, but I came up with that logo. And still today, like my entire team makes fun of me. I'm like, what the hell are you thinking, right? I'm like, yep. I'm make fun of my logo. <laughs> I don't even know how I came up with the color pink neither. You know, it just it just happened. I'm like, oh, I think I, I think I remember why now. I was looking at printing costs for uh, for postcards. Yes. And I'm like, wow, like blue is so expensive, or gray is so expensive, or black is so expensive. Pink's the cheapest. All right, I'll pick pink, and that's how we end up with pink. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, to your point of a lot of people expect some of the entrepreneurs to have the answers. 
that really is as simple as it gets in a lot of the decisions. It's like, oh, there was one clearly obvious path at the at that moment, and there wasn't like a whole lot of analysis around it, and you chose it, and luckily it was maybe the right call, and it actually had a good jumping off point, and you're able to take advantage of it. And I think that is one of the most important parts is like, you're going to have a lot of failure points. Really, the most important thing is when you have something that works or is successful, you're able to take advantage of that and keep going with it and identify it. Yeah. yeah. And, and not dwell on the failure points. Like as Asian Americans, you know, 96 is acceptable and anything below is like not good. But in entrepreneurship, I feel like if you have like a 70% batting average, that's like pretty good and expect the 30 and learn from it and don't kill yourself over kind of the 30% failures. Yeah. Failures are okay, guys, especially in business. As long as you yeah. get up, learn fast and reiterate and don't make the same mistakes, then you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think one other thing that does help is because we're working on it together, I do get to claim his successes as my own. And so then I think if I'm mixing those, there's a higher percentage of success across the both of us than if I, I were just by myself. So I don't have to dwell on 100% everything that I have done right or done wrong. It, I do get to count both and cherry pick. Yeah, that's the question I was about to ask next. What is it like working together? I want to ask Caleb that question. Sorry, Caleb, for putting you on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. working on a business with your significant other. What are the benefits? What are the drawbacks? Yeah. What are the pros and cons? Yeah, obviously, I think it's great or else we wouldn't be here. But I think for us, it's a couple of things. One, we definitely have complementary skill sets and we add value to each other's kind of workflows significantly. So that's super helpful. There are obviously with all couples working together, there are challenges while we are building the business. Luckily, we solved a lot of those kind of communication friction points during the relationship. And so we learned we had a lot more tools in the toolbox to resolve these things. And yeah, so... Overall, the, the process working together has been great. And it's actually made our relationship even stronger because we, if we have a friction point in business, then we kind of build more tools and we use that in our personal lives as well. So it's been great. Yeah, I really, really like the answer a lot. And I feel the same way because I actually, I started Asian Hustle Network, Maggie, my significant other. And there are times where, you know, it can be really blunt with each other that you can't say in a professional setting, you know, stuff like keeping your, each other accountable. It's like, whoa, that's unprofessional, but it's a relationship type of thing. Right. I do agree. But I think having a business relationship, I, I always tell people like when you're in a business relationship, it's almost like dating someone else. Why not just make that one, make your business partner one person, <laughs> make your life easier. Learn more on communication <laughs> from the business side or the relationship side. In terms of our relationship, like working together, definitely the relationship side, right? You learn a yeah. lot of ways to solve problems and communicate properly and Questions you normally would never ask each other. <laughs> you yeah. start asking, it's like, hey, what is your handwriting like? What is your work habit like? How do you send emails? <laughs> Are you nocturnal? Are you in the morning person? You know, just you clarify a lot more things compared to just a normal relationship. So I really appreciate it. And I love hearing stories about couples becoming business partners and succeeding. Right. And the next question I want to ask is so what's next for XDJ? Like, what do you guys hope to do in the next year or so, next five years, next 10 years? Yeah, I mean, so I think from a product perspective, we're looking to continue expanding. So we had started with frozen soup dumplings and in May we released Chinese barbecue skewers or Salkao. And we have a few other products that are lined up in our pipeline to continue to expand. I think for us, we want to continue to see more representation of real Chinese food in the market. 
I think, you know, American, Asian, American, Chinese food is good, but it's just different. It's a different category. And so we want to expose people to a lot of the foods that are out there. So we're going to continue to bring out more products and continue to scale. I think we're going to continue to find ways to be able to make this more accessible. I think a big friction point is frozen food and shipping. People do not understand frozen shipping at all or the cost behind it or any of the infrastructure or logistics. And so we do like our actual per unit pricing is okay, but you do have to buy a large volume for it to make sense. And so if we can bring costs down overall, that's good for the customer or find other access points, whether it's brick and mortar or retail or wholesale, whatever it is, then we can continue to expand access to our products. But I think the whole point is high quality, accessible, you know, expansion of this. And we do want to be inclusive where a lot of people who don't know about Chinese food or understand it they can start to learn about it i like that i like that a lot and i hope you guys nothing but success i really love the mission everything i hear so far you guys are it seems like you have good head on your shoulder with this product so i'm super excited for what's next so i guess the last question i have is what advice would you give to an entrepreneur going through a pivot of their own and you know in business there's a lot of pivots almost pretty more frequently than we want to admit right what advice do you have for most entrepreneurs going through their first pivot ever? Probably having a point of view, but loosely held. So let's say when COVID shut our restaurant down, it could be you know, we had five different options and not knowing that if you pick one option, you have to go all out. It's really just knowing, hey, there's a lot of scenarios that can happen. Do a lot of tests and learn. Know what you don't know and just uh, do things quickly. Be very proactive, very reactive. And when once you only once you see something really work, then go all in on it. But just move quickly and don't be afraid of mistakes along the way. Yeah, I really like the advice a lot. Move quickly, break things fast and then relearn and redo everything, reiterate. So I like that a lot. So where can our listeners find out more about you guys and the product? So we do have a website. It's www.thexyj.com. We also have Instagram. We will have TikTok soon. We have not, we're not on that train yet, but we'll soon be there. That's the best way to learn about us. And we release all of our new products over email and on Instagram. So that's the fastest way to find out. Awesome. Well, thank you, you two so much for being on the podcast today and sharing your story with us. We really appreciate it here at Asian Hustle Network. Thank you. So Great to chat with you. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.